Connor, do you wear a fitness tracker? Uh, yes, I know my heart rate, the steps I've taken, and what I had for breakfast. I almost know what I'm thinking about at all times. And do you keep track of what you eat? No, that's a bit much beyond porridge for breakfast. Nothing else. <laughs> well, I used to keep track, but for me, it was just way too much accountability. <laughs> I couldn't take it. I just <laughs> like to sneak food too much. I don't want to admit how much I'm eating. But for people who are better than me, all of this knowledge is making us live better lives. And the truth of that old saying, those who dine together die together, is proven every day. How we got to this point can actually be traced back to one amazing long-running study that looks at connections between what we eat, our environment, and how all of that influences our health. So I'm guessing you're going to tell me that that's what matters in this episode. Yep. It's the Framingham Heart Study on this edition of Discovery Matters. The Framingham Study is named after Framingham, Massachusetts, near our Marlboro office, actually. It's a pretty special place. Way back in the 40s, scientists already cottoned on to how interesting it was. It was an average middle-class American town that reflected the demographics of the country at large. Most of the people, they worked in a couple of places in the town of Framingham. One of them was called the Denison Factory. And they went to a single hospital called the Cushing Hospital. Neither the Denison factory nor the Cushing Hospital is anymore. But this is a stable, middle-class American town and people who worked in a place, lived over there without a lot of out-migration. And that is an epidemiologist's dream, that when you can measure things in people, follow them up over time, and then see who develops disease and who does not. So who's that? That's Vasan Ramachandran. I'm a professor of medicine and epidemiology at Boston University School of Medicine. He's also a director of the Framingham Heart Study. Ten years into the study, following up 5,200 people every two years, making measurements on, you know, on them in terms of their blood pressure, their lifestyle habits like smoking, and measuring their blood cholesterol, and taking their ECGs. Ten years into the study, Bill Cannell published a paper, a landmark paper, where he described what he referred to as factors of risk. He reported that having high blood pressure, having high blood cholesterol, and having increased voltages in your ECG and smoking resulted in heart attacks. This was at a time when people thought that as people age, your blood pressure increases. But the link between smoking and heart attacks was less clear. So back in Framingham, in a community of motivated people, this started out as a 20-year study with 5,200 people. So how long did it last in the end? Believe it or not, it is 70 years old now, and it's still going. The reason for that, well, it all comes down to families. 20 years into that, the National Heart Institute decided that we had discovered the risk factors for heart disease and that the study could be closed. It was just about this time that Dr. Cannell, Dr. Dauber and all the scientists uh, were prolific publishers of scientific input. 
and they began to publish and show uh, look at other forms besides heart attacks that high blood pressure causes heart failure that high blood sugar causes heart failure that irregular beating of the heart causes stroke and this was the time dr canel began to understand that heart disease runs in families he used to say that men and women who dine together they die together in part because of shared environment but also that the children of people who have heart attacks seem to be predisposed to developing heart attacks there he said it exactly and here's how the study became a family affair so in 1971 bill canel and his group were funded to start the framingham offspring study these were 5200 additional people who were the children of the original cohort and the spouses of those children the familial basis of heart heart attacks and strokes and the familial clustering was identified by the framingham heart study 30 years before the human genome project was completed the human genome project which of course we talked about a few episodes back we sure did in the protein atlas episode but back to framingham fast forward 30 years later the human genome project has been completed and framingham was funded to recruit a third generation the children of the offspring cohort who were the grandchildren of the original cohort to further harness the power of the human genome project and other scientific developments to really understand how does heart disease track across generations what the combination of environmental factors lifestyle genetic factors how do they interact with each other to play into this risk of developing heart attacks strokes and different forms of heart, heart disease I sat down with one of the first participants in this offspring study, Tom Gracia. I'm a complete failure at being a retired corporate attorney and have been a participant for more than 40 years with the study. So how did Tom get involved in the study? Well, they actually got in touch with me. My father-in-law was a participant and then we started the uh second generation uh and spouses and I was a spouse uh, given that it was a father-in-law. Uh at that point I only knew that there was such a study and uh, but they uh they invited us and I raised my hand and here I am. So what exactly is required if you're a participant in a study like this? You come in for a series of uh uh a major examination that has components. Um uh they poke and probe and take samples and um uh look at things and occasionally scan and um um and then provide you with a wealth of information about what they are what they are seeing and and um finding so, uh heart study's done two things for me uh individually so the first is the joy that comes from the participation because you're making a contribution of course i didn't know that when i signed up uh but as i learned what the heart study was doing and it has expanded over and over again in terms of its um uh what it does um became very acutely aware of the contribution that you were making to this world of health science um and very proud of it and i think my guess is that most participants have figured that out and feel that way and the the second uh piece is that it has 
um, given to me an awful lot of personal information about myself, uh, its own studies, and then because we're essentially a control group, these ancillary studies that are either sponsored here or from an outside source. And so I've had all sorts of um, things that I've learned about myself. And most of them, most of the time I leave an examination, I get a good report, uh, which adds a lot of buoyancy to my life. Uh, so in and of itself, just being a participant makes you feel better about yourself if you're fortunate enough to be healthy. So there's that. Just like you and your fitness tracker, Tom is healthier because he knows more. And is that the only benefit that he's uh, enjoyed? It was the heart study who pointed out to me that, uh, which pointed out to me that um, I had uh, thinning bone density. And I might never have known that if it was not for some of the testing that has gone. So I've responded to it. And, you know, I take, I'm, I'm looking at vitamin D supplements and some calcium and a little sunshine. And I have had a very good result once learning about that particular deficiency. Um, so two really good areas. One is the contributions and the other is learning as much as you do about your personal health. So you and Tom, you're both such good people. Others are simply weak mortals like me. I said earlier that knowing more makes me uncomfortable and doesn't really improve my behavior. So I asked Dr. Ramachandran if the cohorts in Framingham are more like me or more virtuous like you and Tom. I think it's been well described in epidemiology as what's called as the healthy cohort effect. When people are observed, they tend to behave better. And that's no surprise, we are humans. And so it's very well known. So the Framingham Heart Study cohort on an average is healthier than an average American uh, group of people. I think we understand that it's a healthier cohort. The internal validity of the findings still remains. The generalizability of the findings need to be taken in the context that this is a slightly healthier cohort than, the, and, than an average American group of people. But that's true of all epidemiological cohort studies that are fairly long-lasting. When you follow people up for sustained amounts of time, they do change their behavior because they are being observed. So back to Tom. He sees this as such a civic duty. And I wondered, does he recruit participants, perhaps his own kids, or how much is he out there sharing his experience of being a cohort? We're back to dining together, but this time, not necessarily dying together. Tom said the study often becomes a topic of conversation around the dinner table. Well, I think you get invited, uh, so they may or may not have been on, on the list. There's a certain number that we're limited to. Uh, but if I have the opportunity... Uh, I certainly would do that with people who have been invited. Um, and I will tell you that I've traveled pretty widely the world, and while it doesn't come up on every trip or every um, dinner I have, the Framingham Heart Study does come up. And when they find out that you're actually a participant in the study, um, the conversation can change, especially if you're talking with people in science, uh, or the medical sciences especially. Uh, they know about it. Uh, they're curious about it. Uh, and uh, I delight in talking about it because I, I very much believe in um, the way it's done. And, of course, it's done anonymously, too. Uh, so we're not, um, you know, unless we do something like this, we're not people that anyone knows other than our families and so forth that we, we participate. Uh, but that contribution is really significant, and it does make you feel good that you're doing something um, 
that is uniquely human. Not, uh, you know, the other entities that live on the planet don't do these kinds of things. And so it's just, it's really, it's terrific. So in the end, we've learned a lot about what those involved have to say about the study, but what does the study itself have to say? What are the results? There's real education going on here. Uh, I often say when I see someone smoke, uh, didn't they read the, the newspaper article or the magazine article, and, and uh, you know, don't they know about this, don't they know about that? And some people are just, they don't care and aren't interested. But anyone who thinks about the quality of their life uh, from a, a health standpoint, um, the heart study is really putting out that information. They can have it, they can learn about it, and they can improve their circumstances. And Dr. Ramachandran says that it is far from over. The beat goes on. Sometimes people ask, you know, how long will the study go on? And I tell them that this is what we have achieved so far is the end of the beginning. And there's a long march ahead. So we hope that our mission continues, thanks to people like Tom and the third generation, perhaps a fourth generation, and we continue to contribute to public health in this country and worldwide. So the world's longest-running human study should really just keep on going. That's our goal and that's our dream, and we are working hard to see how far we can go. And that's it for today's episode. Connor, want to go grab something to eat? Only if it means dining together and not dying together. I'm happily doing that. Amen to that. Stay heart healthy, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Our executive producer is Andrea Killen. Discovery Matters is produced in collaboration with Soundtelling. Production and music by Thomas Henley. Thank you.